Hello, and welcome to the Sarah Zen Podcast. We're here to provide you with opportunities to ground and grow. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and welcome to Sarah Zen Podcast. My name is Lau, and I am the Children and Family Counselor Program Supervisor. And today I am accompanied by our wonderful team of children and family counselors. I will let them introduce themselves, starting with uh, Michael. Hello, my name is Michael. I'm also, I'm a child and family counselor. I've been with Salesin for three years come this May. I have been facilitating our teen support group. Hi, I'm Diana. I am a child and family counselor at Sarah's Inn. I've been with Sarah's Inn since fall of 2019, and I currently facilitate tween groups on Thursday evening. Hello, my name is Karina, and I have been at Sarah's Inn since fall of 2019 as well, and I facilitate the children's support group. Hi, my name is Vanessa, and I'm the new INBC child and family counselor. Uh, Sarah's Inn recently partnered with the Institute for Nonviolent Chicago, and I'll be servicing families and children impacted in the west side of the city through INBC and Sarah's Inn. You know, April is Child Abuse Awareness Month, and uh, for this month's podcast, our team, uh, Child and Family Counseling Team, have thought through some questions we have encountered throughout our work and with the families that we support. And these questions revolve around supporting children who have been abused or have seen abuse in uh, their own families, changing family dynamics after uh, familial separation, and ways to support children with familial transitions. With all family work, um, what works for one family may not work for another family. Our answers to these questions are not meant to be prescriptive, and we do not pretend to believe that they will match every familial situation. We hope, however, that the information provided can normalize familial realities and aid you in your own reflection and approaches with families in your life. Of course, if you need help thinking through the impact of abuse on children and families, we are happy to be of assistance. Now, without further ado, we bring you today's episode on supporting children and families through abuse and transition. So for this episode, we asked our group facilitators to provide us with some questions they have encountered in their groups. Today, we'll be asking the team uh, to answer each of these questions and provide us with some um, insights, some perspectives, some tips. So let's jump uh, right in. What are some signs of child abuse to be aware of? To start off, there are different types of abuse children may experience, physical, sexual, or emotional. Children may display different types of symptoms. Some may be changes in behavior and mood, anxiousness, feeling scared, depressed. There may be marks on the body, isolating and not wanting to play or do activities that they once liked. There may be psychosomatic symptoms such as stomach aches, headaches, pain in different parts of the body, self-harming, and expressing suicidal thoughts. Uh, so as a parent, how, how would you say that one can help their child or their children understand the importance of maybe sharing of the experience? So let me rephrase that again. How, how can a parent help their child understand the importance of disclosing or sharing? First, it's really important for a parent to understand the difficulties of disclosure and what the child might be thinking if they disclose. 
A child may be skilled or may not know how to talk about it. Sometimes there's a perceived risk that influences a child's ability to show openly. Parents, of course, cannot predict everything that will happen, nor will they have much control if outside systems are involved. But they can reassure the child of their support of them, that they will not be mad at the child. And if they are mad, it is not because of the child. You want to make sure that the child knows that they will be safe if they make a disclosure. It is important to take into consideration the developmental level of the child, and that's both age and developmental level, because that can be different, and when the abuse took place. For example, if abuse took place when the child was pre-verbal, they might not be able to verbally disclose because they might not have the vocabulary to talk about it. Another thing to consider is the purpose of disclosing. Is the purpose because of immediate safety that needs to be addressed quickly or to work with long-term trauma processing? Ultimately, creating a safe environment for the child to feel safe should they choose to show and also vocalizing that it's not their fault. Thank you. You know, you mentioned creating a safe environment for children to be able to share their experiences. What would you say is the right language, words, verbiage to use with a a child around any kind of abuse? Developmentally appropriate and simple language that they can understand and already use. It is also important to name the abuse, even if it's difficult to talk about. Oftentimes, children may already know the words and language. Um, Asking what they know is a good place to start talking about their understanding of abuse. Children are oftentimes more aware of their surroundings than we realize. That has been very true in my experience. (laughs) Children are very resilient, which we could probably attest to. Uh, And I have another question related to experiencing abuse. Uh, why is it that the abuse uh, may be disclosed years after it happened? Uh, what can help us understand why that happens? Why is it not shared right away? Abuse can be a very complicated reality for children and adolescents, and it often goes against established worldviews that some children may have. It can be even more complicated when the abuser is a friend or a family member, someone that the, the family and child trust. For example, a child may believe that the world is a good place or that the abuser is someone who loves them and it is safe or that things happen to them because it's their fault. So they must have done something wrong. Children and teens might also be intimidated by their abuser. So they might be told to stay quiet or something can happen to them. Um, They could also have a fear of what could happen if they just close the abuse. Will my family break apart? Will I lose someone I care about? Would I put someone in danger? Will police, DCFS, or ICE get involved? They could also have some guilt about what happens after disclosure. They might not know who to turn to or how the person may respond once they've told. And historically, society has not done a good job modeling appropriate responses to people who disclose abuse. Thank you, Vanessa. I could I could not agree more. I think that culturally we uh, can often really quickly jump into pointing fault and often hold the one experiencing violence or abuse as responsible. Uh, and it does take courage and bravery to be able to share one's experience of abuse and violence. You know, we've been talking about child abuse so far, the warning signs and the different the difficulties in sharing such experiences. Uh, for children, or I would even say adults. Uh, But on a similar vein, I want to shift us into a different gear here and ask a little bit about the impact of domestic violence or intimate partner violence on children. So my, my question is, what would you 
what would you say are some physical and emotional symptoms that a parent might witness from their child who has also witnessed a parent be abusive? Uh, Some behavioral symptoms that a parent might witness from their child um, would be bullying, insulting, or physical aggressiveness towards their peers, withdrawal from social and peer relationships, or upset about separation, some defiant behaviors with authority, developmental regression, hyperactivity, anxiety, obsessiveness, uh, learning problems at school, sleeping and eating problems, violence towards siblings, running away from home, violence towards their mom, intervening to protect mom or siblings, uh, imitating abusers, uh, abusers' behavior towards mom. Some emotional symptoms could be fear, anxiety, nervousness, depression, sadness, or suicidal, some guilt, self-blame, and bitterness, feeling responsible to protect their mom and siblings, Uh, blame or resentment towards mom or siblings could happen, the fear of ordinary arguments, they could also have an uncertainty about what is real. This is uh, quite the list you are providing us with. It can be a little bit jarring or overwhelming just here, <laughs> hearing this big list. So I guess my next question would be then as a parent, as a mom or dad, what can be done if your child has witnessed uh, domestic violence? I think from the beginning, it's always important to let the child know that it's okay to talk about emotional physical abuse they might have heard or seen, saying that it's okay to actually talk about this. We had weighed that abuse is always wrong and shouldn't be tolerated, and model accepting responsibilities for your own mistakes. Help your children not to worry about you. They can think a lot about what do I need to do to protect my family, and if you reiterate safety, then that removes the responsibility from them. You can make a safety plan with your children to think through what do I need to do to feel safe and what does my family need to do to feel safe? And then tell the children that the abuse isn't their fault. These these are very helpful tips to uh, keep in mind, especially in light of parenting and, you know, moving forward. I hear this theme of creating a safe environment, creating the space for uh, children to express and know that uh, it's okay for them to, to share and be accepted. In light of healing and moving forward, what would you say are some maybe key elements of uh, children's healing and uh, overcoming such experiences? Yes, and thank you, Michael and Lau, and for reiterating creating safety. That is a very important element in children's healing, creating safety between family members, caregivers, whoever the child trusts. Another important element is to have good relationships. Again, if the child has siblings with um, extended family members, cousins, um, and also to be connected to loved ones, to peers, um, and to self. If other individuals are in this child's life, teachers, um, if they're part of extracurricular activities, to have good relationships. And then also opportunities to talk about events and express their feelings. Um, you know, in the work that we do, we often uh, we are, we are often supporting the parenting of the families that we work with, right? The clients that we work with, and in light of being impacted by uh, an abusive partner or, or someone who's controlling or violent, I guess I, I have a question related to single parenting. For those who are single parents adjusting to single parenting realities, what is is some advice or words of encouragement that you would uh, give them? 
Yeah, change can be difficult and it can be scary. Uh, but from the very start, we can normalize that it will be a new lifestyle and give space to grieve a change or accept the excitement for what's to come. Recognize that life has movement and the current movement will also pass. It does not have to define the way in which you parent or provide support to your children. And give yourself grace and be patient with yourself as adjustments can take time. Hmm, I really like uh, these words of uh, encouragement. I have one more question before we wrap up today's episode that we often come across uh, in our work with families. You know, many of the children that we work with have parents who have split, divorced, or are separated. What kind of guidance or advice would you give a parent who has to deal with children visiting uh, other par- the other parent and their house rules and any challenges that may arise? How would you deal with the different rules at each other's parents' home and or when the other parent is the fun parent and when maybe you're not the so fun parent? This is something we hear a lot. Uh, validate different rules in each home and validate emotions of confusion and frustration that the child may have. Thinking about what communication is with like the, with the other parent. Are they open to a conversation about parenting? Can you reframe that being a good parent does not just mean providing financially, but also involves making structure, rules, and guidance to help their children develop? Also thinking about changes that may have occurred because of separation. Keeping clear rules, making rituals for recitation comings and goings. Checking in with yourself and what you may be thinking if one caregiver is perceived as the fun one. What narrative do you have when you think about the current caregiving structure? How do you think your children view you? We can easily say, I feel like my kids don't like me because I am not the fun one, but the opposite may be true. The support and structure that you provide to your children with now will help in making them resilient and strong in the future and help them face adversity. Uh, You know, we are nearing the end of our episode today. So thank you, counselors, uh, so much for answering the questions related to child abuse and the impact of abuse in the family and the ways that parents can support their children. Uh, Before we end the episode, um, I want to be asking each of you, I want to ask everyone, you know, what is, in one sentence, what would you say is your favorite part about working with children, parents, and families? Thank you for this question. I find so much joy in doing child and family work, even amidst complicated or complicated realities for families. It's beautiful to see that even amidst that, there can be joy and like strengthening of relationships. I really love when children and parents see um, strengths in one another and find ways that they can be supportive. And when a child and when a child can look at their parents and see someone that they trust, someone that they can feel safe with, and someone that they that can help them grow. When we get to those points, it's really beautiful, and I really value those moments. I would have to agree with Michael. I really enjoy watching families grow together and strengthening relationships and really recognizing um, their own strengths and each other's strengths and helping each other grow as a family. Similar to everyone else, my favorite part about working with children, parents, and families would be forming the connections with them and then watching them build themselves up again. So my favorite part about working with uh, children and families, as well as my colleagues, is that 
again, I get to develop relationships with the families, get to know their strengths, get to see how they communicate with each other and grow. And another thing that I enjoy is being able to play different games with children. I get to learn how to play new games um, and delve into their worlds and also do lots of different activities, art activities, movement activities, which are all really fun. I could not agree more with everything that has been shared. I I do think that being a children's counselor puts you in a rather interesting position to pull on your creativity (laughs) and using what resources you have to, to guide a child through their own emotional processing. Thank you so much for uh, sharing and uh, thank you listener for tuning into this month's episode. If you have any questions about what you have heard today or are listening for the first time, we encourage you to check out our website to learn more about our services, sarazin.org, or give us a call at 708-386-4225. Thank you so much. Uh, This is Lau, Children and Family Counselor, and it was wonderful hosting this uh, episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sarah's Inn podcast. You can listen to all of our podcasts on sarahsintv.org or follow the Sarah's Inn podcast on Spotify or on Google and Apple Podcasts. We hope that you'll join us next time. Now you will hear a short message from Katie, our Director of Development, about an exciting and free virtual event coming this May. Join Sarah's Inn on Wednesday, May 5th from 8.30 to 10 a.m. for the Together We Inspire Educational Forum. In honor of our 40th anniversary, the Together We Inspire Educational Forum will be free and take place virtually via Zoom webinar. Dr. Jacqueline Campbell, the leading authority on the health impact of domestic violence, will be our keynote speaker. Following Dr. Campbell's address, we will have a panel discussion with experts from the Sarazen staff, moderated by Michelle Weldon, about the impact trauma has on communities and families and how to use that knowledge to help foster resilience and violence prevention. To register for this free event, please visit sarazen.org, which is linked in this podcast. With your help, we can achieve our vision to provide community-based solutions that will end relationship violence.